Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ahoy there. Nick Cage. And don't pretend like you don't know who I am. What do you see? We cut the chit-chat a-hole. All right, I'm a little tired, a little wired, and I think I deserve a little appreciation. Shame on you! I lost just a little bit of control there, but now everything's cool. Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley friggin' Ow! Woo! It's Easter! <laughs> And we're talking a movie from 2022 available on VOD and in theaters, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. What is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent? You mean aside from being a movie? It is the culmination of our Nicolas Cage Month series. Beginning at the end of July and through August, the Nick Cage Month has featured amazing titles including Leaving Las Vegas, The Rock, Raising Arizona, Matchstick Men, National Treasure, Am I missing something? We're missing apparently a lot of movies. You know, we knew that Unbearable Weight was coming at the end. This is obviously a full circle kind of thing. But uh, we focused on relatively few of the movies presented in this movie. Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about Face Off. We didn't talk about Con Air. We did talk about The Rock. It's kind of a lot of, kind of a spoiler for Con Air, but whatever. And then (laughs) the ancillary stuff. And then there was a deleted scene that had leaving Las Vegas elements. It had a lot more gone in 60 seconds stuff. And he's painted up all face painty like Dr. Caligari, presumably, because we didn't watch that movie either. But on the strength of this movie, Kelly Ray and I sat down to watch both Paddington 1 and Paddington 2. (laughs) Did it change your life? It didn't because I'm not Nicolas Cage, but it was cute and great for what it was. I guess the truth in that would be it could make you want to be a better person or whatever. It's it's the best animated teddy bear movie I've ever seen. Okay, a lot of qualifications there. That's like you saying Wolf Walkers is the best like animated thing about wolves, yeah. <laughs> Had you seen Cabinet of Dr. Caligari? Nope. Like they said, it's a like a 100-year-old German surrealist movie. Yeah, but, you know, you've generally expressed good taste. And what does he say about his daughter? So hilarious and, and like, disconnected. It was like a failure in her otherwise... All-around good otherwise taste. sound movie taste. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> and then Javi's f- favorite movie of all time was Face Off. Now, how founded is that? I mean, look, for our Nicolas Cage Month selections, we I tried to choose things that are representative of his body of work. And I think that The Rock represents as arguably the best of this sort of Con Air, The Rock, face-off trio. I think it represents that aspect of Nicolas Cage's career well enough that it justifies it. But I think being surrounded generally by Nicolas Cage and knowing his legend or whatever is enough to enter into the unbearable weight of massive talent. So besides being his latest release, how does this otherwise fit into his body of work? 
it, it well, I mean, if anybody is known for his wacky off-screen antics and stuff, and personality-wise, it's probably Nicolas Cage, because in recent years he's made more of a name for himself as a wacky personality. He gets randomly married in Vegas, and he was formerly married to Lisa Marie Presley, and only crazy people marry Lisa Marie Presley. He had his highs and lows, and just saturated his his uh, filmography with crap to try to get paid because he's a like dinosaur fossil skull buying crazy new orleans pyramid owning like fast living two million dollar superman comic book kind of collector dude and so he has to fund that lifestyle he sold off most of his homes and stuff and and then kind of is known for being wacky and not since being john malkovich has someone who is a quirky curious personality been so well represented you know, in the meta sense in that Nicolas Cage is playing Nick Nick Cage. So my question is, who is this Nicolas Cage? Because mm-hmm. obviously we have Nick Cage, the character in this movie, and then we have Nicky, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But Nicolas Cage has, I believe, obvious parallels to Nicolas Cage. Wait, wait, Nicky wait. more so. For- <laughs> I'm already confused. Let's just say real life Nicolas Cage Main character Nick Cage. Yeah, right. And phantom character Nikki Cage or Nikki. Nikki Kim Coppola, as he's credited. Right, which I was like, is that a person? Like, was that a family member standing in for him? Uh, it was, well, it had to be stand ins at some point because he like hugs him and fights him and stuff and smooches him. But uh, yeah, Nick Cage smooches good. <laughs> so the question is, This was obviously written. It was actually a a spec script, and he turned it down several times. And then he got a nice letter from the director, and which convinced him to make it writer director. And uh, the question is: Is this how Nicolas Cage perceives himself? Is this how he expects that we perceive him? Is this how the writer perceives him? Like, who is this Nick Cage? He's a construct based on himself which I'm sure bears resemblance to himself, but is otherwise a a character. Although I have to say, when Tiffany Haddish freaks out in the mini airport, and she's like, Nick Cage, oh my God. And she feigns like total fan, she's like fangirling out. And he kind of has that three quarters like defensive stance, like, you know, his body (laughs) is poised to like make a run for it in case she really flips out. And he's like, thank you, thank you. I felt like that was 100% Nick Cage. And I have no basis for that, but I feel like that has happened to him so many times in his life. He probably has a script that he refers to, that he reverts to. He's a good actor also. I mean, because I'm guessing that in Nicolas Cage's mind or in anybody's mind, they're much cooler in front of fans than he was in front of Tiffany Haddish, right? Hey, how you doing? Thank you so much. You know, can I get you an autograph? Would you like a picture? And he like remembers his ne- her nephew's name, like uh, Jeremy. Yeah, say hi to Jeremy for me. Like, yep. that's such a celebrity pseudo interested thing to do. But he is. It's pretty disparaging of him. How so? Well, I mean, his daughter hates him. And if the Caligari stuff, which I I think is really true, he's all into like German expressionism and Fritz Lang and all this stuff. And I can expect, I can imagine that he would be equally as unbearable at times in person. He is known to take the drink at times. And so I don't doubt that he will like bust out this like weird impromptu piano song (laughs) full of the Nick Cage flourish. Where he like has little sighs and then goes back into the song and like gets all loud. 
I mean, the self-referential, like, he really had, I think, had to take a long, hard look at the absurdity of his celebrity and be like, all right, some of this has got to play in. And just as much as he has to do, like, the Nikki Howling stuff and all the aggro stuff, he has to also represent the kind of sillier side that I wasn't sure that he would be aware of. It's like, does Christopher Walken know he talks like that? Of course. Does Nicolas Cage know? Does know Robert the, De Niro know? Maybe he <laughs> But maybe Nicolas Cage like read the crazy headlines about himself and was like, I got to put that in the movie. There's so much self-awareness. But I think that in order to do a role like this, you need to have boundaries and you do need to develop a, a specific character for this film. I think we're seeing glimpses of, of Nicolas Cage and I think there's a lot of it that's tongue in cheek. But for the most part, I think this is a character. Yeah, it's stroke of genius to have the Nikki character to act out all the other stuff that we couldn't possibly incorporate in a quote-unquote real-life version of Nicolas Cage. Like what? Just like him being all nuts and stuff and going, and like punching and smooching and junk. <laughs> and he's got to do like the hair thing because the hair is already kind of in the face and then he like does the hair like headbang and then the hair goes yeah. flying. It seemed much more obvious the second time I watched it. But did you note that Nikki is a much old, much, well, it's older in like it's a previous Nicolas, Nicolas Cage iteration, but he was de-aged because he's supposed to be a younger version. Wait, I'm confused. He looks like young Nick Cage. Right. He's wilder and has the crazy hair and the woo and all that stuff. But he's de-aged as played by Nicolas Cage in this movie. Yeah, he's um he definitely his face is his face is thin and smooth. I mean, he's probably Nicolas Cage from 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I I couldn't tell cuz he's just Nicolas Cage. I noticed it I think the first time around. But Nick had he Nick Cage had that weird kind of bleached hair thing going on for a while. Yep, cuz he was getting a little bit thin. You can see it in Raising Arizona. And so I'm pretty sure he had something done. You mean a hair transplant? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's looking all thick and curly now, which is, you know, whatever. If you got the money. <laughs> yeah, sure. But as is evidenced, the actual Nicolas Cage apparently had to conceal many tattoos for the pool dip scene. And so that's something. And of course, Nicolas Cage, actually, maybe not, of course, but he has a super goth son and a Superman son and no daughter in real life. He has two sons. Does he have a Woody Woodpecker tattoo? Uh, no, no. But you would think, doesn't that make sense? Like Jack Sparrow, Johnny Depp would get that Jack Sparrow tattoo on his hand, on his hand for real. Doesn't it seem like Nicholas Cage should have the Woody Woody Woodpecker from Raising Arizona on his arm? <laughs> this is a different version of Nicholas Cage. You know what I'm coming to realize? This is a little bit of a multiverse movie. Yeah, I'm getting confused. There are many levels of Nicholas Cage. And in some of the deleted scenes I saw, it gets even wackier. And he references even more of his movie roles. Like he reenacts in a Dr. Caligari black and white setting um, some of the face off stuff and uh, has like a like a faux like surreal car chase. All of what we see in the unbearable weight of massive talent. OK, maybe not all, but all of the character moments that we see in this movie are plausible. You could totally imagine him flying on his private jet to a private island and like flipping through channels and him seeing himself. And what that might bring up for him. You could totally see him like, you know, making an appearance at a party and, and getting paid a million bucks to do to make some small talk. Like aside from like the government intervention and the whole kidnapping plot and all that kind of stuff, doesn't this seem very plausible? 
Yeah, absolutely. And the whole point is that it ultimately becomes his and Javi's movie, right? Where he's recruited by the CIA in the middle of his thing. And then it kind of devolves into shooty stuff later on. But that's all keenly aware. It knows that it's going to head in that direction. Just like he knows when the misdirect, when Javi is the head of the criminal organization, he like grabs the shotgun from him and like gets all aggressive and, and moves toward him because they were just talking about, we need a trailer moment cut to him shooting, you know, sh shotguns. It's all very intentional and deliberate and self-referential and it. it's aware of how it's going to become a silly like caper type movie. It's a movie within a movie, but it's really a bromance. It is. It's much, he apparently, in an, a true Nicolas Cage fashion, to make it weirder, thought he believes the Javi role is the best written role in the movie and lobbied hard <laughs> to play the role of Javi <laughs> and have someone else play Nick Cage. <laughs> but he relented when Pedro Pascal signed up. And I have to confess, I did not like that dude at all. Pedro Pascal, he showed up. I didn't watch The Mandalorian, and he showed up in Wonder Woman 1984, and I hated him. I was like, I hate this dude. Why is Pedro Pascal a thing? He's gross and smarmy and has kind of a thick neck. And <laughs> then the unbearable way to mess, I was like, all right, that's fine. Because Kelly Ray was very excited about this movie. Kelly Ray, the sponsor and the originator of Nicolas Cage Month. And she wanted to see it. I was like, oh, let's do it with Pedro Pascal. And then I was thoroughly charmed by this mm. dude. Like, this movie gave me Pedro Pascal as an actor. Aww. I thought he was funny and cute and charming and engaging. And he can also do the screamy stuff really well. But the, like, the fake laugh with the tourist... <laughs> Where he does the maniacal, like, turning and laughing, and then he, like, breaks down. He's like, no, that didn't work when they're all on drugs. <laughs> that was the, you mean it was it was brilliant in its in its horribleness? Yeah, you can't, he was just, I was thoroughly charmed by that dude. Yeah. <laughs> he turns right at them. He looks right at them and goes, <laughs> bah! <laughs> they, were, they were on drugs. They violated the cardinal and ultimate rule of or whatever movies and did many drugs. Very, yeah, many, many drugs. They were tripping out on LSD. It might be a different movie if you look, if you don't like Pedro Pascal in this movie, because the whole point is that he's supposed to be a, a bad guy who charms you at every turn. And he's so earnest and like, I can't, I can't, like, I can't stand here while you read my screenplay. I'm too nervous. Yeah. My heart is beating. Right. He's supposed to be the head of this cartel. And he like, when, when he does the, the leaving Las Vegas thing at the bottom of the pool where he just steps into the water and is drinking at the bottom of the pool, he totally dives in and saves him. Right. <laughs> well, you can't have Nick Cage's blood on your hands. I mean... Right. That looks real bad. It's a bad oh, look. Oh, man. Even for a cartel drug lord. But is he a bad guy? Javi? Well, Javi is, is a he's a bad guy adjacent. Because mm -hmm. his cousin, the second you see that dude, you were like, well, that's a bad guy, right? With the stupid bleached hair and the, and the Euro earring and junk. Well, and he's so mean to Nick Cage. Yeah. He comes right out and was like, must have been awesome to have been a star. And you're like, aw. But then I, I also kind of chalk that up in a Spanish kind of way to like, sorry, my English isn't so good or whatever. Like, it's just <laughs> the abrupt, there's finesse when you're handling a bait with kid gloves, a person like Nicolas Cage. And he's just like, don't you wish you could be making movies like like that again but i was so charmed by javi that maybe i gave his cousin the benefit of the doubt mm. 
Yeah, I don't know that you can get away with just being. I mean, aren't you? He's at least an accessory. Yeah, but it didn't matter. I mean, because you you couldn't tell, and that was part of the fun of the movie. And then ultimately, he's shooting machine guns and stuff. But he's like Nicholas Cage is like on a trade, and he's like, you mean like permanently? And he's like, yeah. And he's like so thrilled and like kind of like I got Nicholas Cage's shoes. Like he's an unabashed fanboy. <laughs> and the the misdirect of like you know if, if you go into so you want to go you want to see what's in there. If you see you cannot go back and it will change your opinion of me. And then it's like all oh, like the fan collection like in the vault that nobody's allowed to see, especially Nicholas Cage. In the deleted scene, <laughs> he asks for the why. He's like, "Oh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. What's the Wi-Fi?" And you can see Pedro Pascal's face fall. And he's like, "It is N A T I O N A L T R E A S U R E two. And he goes, "So National Treasure two. And he went, "Yes." <laughs> Colon Book of Secrets, all caps. <laughs> Oh, so many good moments. Where did you see the deleted scenes? I'm just just online. It's I read that the deleted scene exists where he references way way more of his movies, and then I had to look it up. Oh, it's on YouTube. So good. Look, I mean, it, it it gets pretty close to being silly, right? It's a very bare bones premise, but you have to understand that the movie that they're writing and which ultimately comes to bear on the screen is happening in real time as they're doing drugs and figuring it out. And I guess it's a fairly thin ruse or reason for a movie to exist, but it works. And you have to be charmed by Nicolas Cage, as most people who see this movie, I'm going to argue, are. And I was thoroughly charmed by Pedro Pascal. Otherwise, the wall scene, which is laboriously uh, laid out in the trailer, isn't going to work for you. You have to like them and not think it's just stupid. You know, we were talking about how Javi can't have Nick Cage's blood on his hands. Like, he can't, you can't invite Nick Cage to your birthday party and then have him drown in your pool. Like, how can the CIA be so unconscionable as to, like, put Nick Cage in their service and then kind of treat him so badly? Like, it starts with them throwing him into the van. Like, why do they need to do that? <laughs> they don't, they don't need to make a point. Say, excuse me, you know, Nick, Nick Cage, we're with U.S. government. We need you to come with us. And I think that's why this is a Nicolas Cage movie, because I'm not sure that that's real. I'm pretty sure that the the story goes that rich guy Javi invites a movie star to uh, pays him a million bucks to come to his birthday, but surreptitiously wants him to read his screenplay. And Nicolas Cage doesn't want to do that, but offers to make like have like a movie adventure with him on his ready made uh, island. Or whatever. So it is the movie, them hashing out the details. But once he's enlisted in the plot and Javi is a bad guy, I think it becomes their movie. And it slowly morphs into that movie until it goes full Demi Moore at the end. And that's when we are made aware of the fact that we have been watching the movie. But I'm pretty sure that Javi was just a bored rich guy on drugs. Don't you think? Yes. But how does that connect back to <laughs> the CIA employing Nick Cage? Because it's not very well written. <laughs> i see it's just like and you come to my island and then the cia believes i am a bad guy you see i mean they put him in major peril like they're sending him out like there he's his eight their agent like he's completely he's so untrained for it like in this environment but i guess it doesn't matter because you're saying the movie's playing out. right and then says, well, I mean, you know now you got to kill him if you want to get out of there you're just gonna have to shoot him so call us when you're done you know, and then there's the, the the hobby also being instructed to kill Nicolas Cage. Like, it's absurd on film, and we know it. And I guess you get a pass 
because of the trickiness of it being ultimately part of their movie together. I mean, aside from where the movie takes over, the the film still needs to function narratively. Like, it, I get it that it gets a little wacky, and that's part of the movie that they're simultaneously developing, spontaneously developing. But also, it has to be reasonable. He just seems very ill-prepared for the, the missions that they put. They don't need, they don't train him. Maybe they're conflating Nick Cage action hero with actual Nick Cage, you know, Nicolas Cage, the, the man. Maybe that's part of the irony. Well, he's had some training. Imagine if Tom Cruise made a celebrity appearance for a million bucks and then he had to go all CIA. I would totally buy it because that dude... <laughs> That dude has weapons training. That said, I'm sorry to say, Nicolas Cage kind of runs like an old dude. Well, he is an old dude. Yeah, he's kind of top heavy and running around and doing his best, but he's he's got the old dude. When you're like a big man, you like at the end of your days, you just like hurt all over. Yeah, it's just quintessential lumbering. Yeah, and made no better by the footwear with insufficient ankle support. Right. Which he criticizes him for. But he goes from wanting to live the life of a house cat, which sounds pretty good, actually, to being a full-blown Nick Cage-level action hero. Right. And I guess it's fine. He's also in disguise. Do he and and Olivia get back together? I assume so. Right, or at least they they maintain a more happy family unit. Yeah. But I mean, also, whatever happens, they are happier at the end. And it all becomes a farce where they crash the gates of the embassy and have the knife stabbing and shootout or whatever at the embassy. But also Javi gets shot and is not shot. And actually, that contradicts my original point, because if it's like subtly transitions, more or less, I mean, the, the actual transition where we understand that it's a movie as an audience within the movie is not subtle at all. It's very no. abrupt and actually kind of jarring. But... Javi gets shot, but that can't happen in the real world, presumably, because Javi never has to do that stuff and never has to murder his cousin or get shot by his cousin. He doesn't actually murder him at all. Nick Cage murders him. But Javi gets shot when he makes his stand. It's like Splash, where Eugene Levy tries to buy them some time by getting out of the car and insisting that they halt. In this case, Javi shooting out the windows. He doesn't delay them for one second. (laughs) They shoot him and drive past him at full speed. He he takes out one of the cars. Yeah, it becomes like a really unnecessary casualty. But he has to make his stand. He has to make his symbolic stand, you know, for the man that he loves. Basically, yeah, so sweet, <laughs> and then puts Gabriella in all in like total peril to achieve protecting the man he loves. Well, she's secondary. He's the Nick Cage is his first love, and then Gabriella is you know the unrequited secondary love. You can feel his giddiness. Every like she's like, "How did it go?" And he's like, "It went pretty well." He's like all happy. <laughs> he's a little taller than I thought he would be. <laughs> yeah, Nicholas Cage is a big dude. Oh yeah, I mean you can tell in the lumberingness. I feel like you're. Pretty, like, offhandedly dismissing talking about the daughter. Eddie Cage, played by Lily Mo Sheen, Kate Beckinsale and Michael Sheen's kid. Kate Beckinsale and Michael Sheen. Yep, Lily Mo. I mean, what's to say about Abby? She's just there to add the stakes or whatever, and I think she's fine. And and she is, you know, in a dismissive teenager kind of way, the best purveyor of Nicolas Cage, you know, putting him down and stuff. Like, everything always has to be about you and that kind of stuff. And she's all, like, pissed off at her dad like it doesn't here she's the least per- person who cares the least that Nicolas Cage is her father right and um and I think that Nikki is her appropriate foil because he's <laughs> like Addie doesn't need a father she needs a movie star yeah yeah Nikki could be like her faux dad bestie 
cool dad bestie. <laughs> Except children don't need best friends. They need parents. <laughs> They've got friends. They need, what did she say? I don't know if I'm going to regret saying this, but I need you to get it together. I feel like I've had this talk. Addie, Addie's just, I mean, she's a good character, but she she turns into, in the face of two dudes in a bromance buddy action movie, into a plot convention. It's true. You know, like True Lies. She's like, they took Addie at the last minute when they think everything is going to be okay, and then they have to go rescue her. Yeah, it's true. Addie and Olivia, who's great. Sharon Horgan is great, by the way. I loved her in Catastrophe. Uh, Demi Moore, you mean. Played by Demi Moore in her, <laughs> in her movie version. For a couple of seconds. <laughs> right. They, they both become just instruments of the plot. Neil Patrick Harris, similarly, I felt like should have played a, a bigger role in the, in the actual movie. Yeah, how come he didn't come to save them, all like manager style? Right. Like, I'm pulling you out of this. I had no idea that he, he just wanted you to do his script or whatever. Right, yeah, absolutely. Ends up and, and takes a bullet for him at the critical moment. <laughs> I think underutilized character, Fink. And, and you can think, oh, it just became a part of the movie and so nothing matters. It doesn't matter that Javi got shot or whatever. Because they have, in one of the deleted scenes, in the one that I was talking about, spoiler, he takes out Nikki. He kills him. Which is how that character is ultimately resolved. Oh. Because he's at odds. You know, he's the wild man who wants him to do reckless and crazy things when ultimately Nick Cage of this movie just kind of wants to reconcile with his, make sure his, his family is safe and then, you know, be with them or whatever. So a lot of unresolved stuff that we can chalk up to, well, somewhere between, you know, the shooting or whatever and the release of the movie when they're all in their tuxedos, all that stuff was taken care of and maybe he ex exercised his own demon uh, that was Nikki. There was some resolution, at least to some characters, that we didn't see on screen. Yeah. And maybe Neil Patrick Harris has an extended arc where he makes a reappearance and they just cut it. Yeah. We don't know. All right. I mean, he's a super fun character, and I think he deserved a little bit more. He deserved to, to go out in some form of glory, whether it was, yep. you know, being vanquished or, or released or something. Because I think that he's an important part of, a, of an actor's psyche, the part that Nicolas Cage otherwise needs to keep at bay or in check. Yeah, because we saw with his insistence on reading in front of David Gordon Green's car <laughs> that he is going to mess up stuff if he doesn't have someone looking out for him. It doesn't matter, though, because Nicolas Cage can do whatever he wants. Because if you're going to get on board, as John Malkovich did in being John Malkovich, as Nicolas Cage did in becoming Nick Cage for the unbearable weight of massive talent, you're going to have your say. So that's what's kind of great about this movie for me, is that it's astounding that Nicolas Cage allowed his sort of flaws and his self-deprecating stuff to become evident on screen in a character playing himself because he also produced this movie. It wasn't just like, oh, you're going to make a Nicolas Cage movie about Nick Cage, you know? <laughs> and so he can do whatever he wants and what he says. And even though it's completely falsified in a weird way, based on our perception of Nicolas Cage, it's unfailingly honest. Right. Which is crazy trippy to me it is it's kind of a, it's kind of mind bendy to wrap your head around it i think takes considerable willpower and i think that's why i took it and that's why we had to culminate nicholas cage month with this movie despite the fact that we didn't really focus on very many of the movies that the unbearable way to but i i laughed too because i'm i'm a you know movie nerd when he goes in and i was like "Ooh, look at all that memorabilia and he's like a really elegant string of pearls configuration and i was like he says that in the rock that's awesome <laughs> and i'm sure there were other things that i didn't even catch because i never saw mandy and, and because you're not a die hard nick cage fanatic well i'm not not hobby level for sure so Hollywood loves movies about 
itself. And this seems critically fairly well received. How do you think yeah. the unbearable weight of massive talent is going to fare with awards and, and how does it fare with you? I don't think it's going to make any splash at awards, but I don't know that he can manifest his career resurgence by having a career resurgence in the movie, you know? Not that he went anywhere. Not that he ever went anywhere. And look, I hope so. And I just hope that Nicolas Cage gets out of the schlock because Pig was worth seeing. And I think this one was worth seeing. But the dozen or so before that, like I didn't bother. And and at one point I regarded Nicolas Cage as one of my top five actors back in the 90s. And then he fell off and started doing crap. Which is just kind of mysterious to me. But this movie couldn't exist, like everything, everywhere, all at once, could not exist without his full filmography and our knowledge of him off screen and hearing that he's a little bit nuts and maybe unpredictable and stuff. But only Nicolas Cage in this movie could be like the type where if you like started <laughs> as a grown man play acting and slam on the brakes of the Jeep and run away into the forest would go along with it. <laughs> See, Pl- it's all plausible. I think that's the key to the success of the unbearable weight of massive talent. It's a rickety bridge and 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 entertaining and, and crowd-pleasing and fun. Uh, I think that's the key. It's fun, and if you hate Nicolas Cage and, and hate uh, Pedro Pascal like I did initially, you're probably not going to have fun, but I was thoroughly won over. I wouldn't say this is deep cinema as much as Nicolas Cage maybe wants it to be. This movie, for the first time, gave me a Nick Cage that I found to be thoroughly charming and star-worthy. And obviously this movie doesn't exist without him, but I think we all should, we should definitely give a shout out to the filmmakers, right? The writer, director, huge props to Tom Gormican and to Nicolas Cage for doing something fresh and different and, and for the, the good natured kind of exploration of what we might perceive of his celebrity. I don't know we're ever going to know the real Nicolas Cage, (laughs) but he's like, pretending like we do get a a glimpse of it. And hopefully he can keep on truer footing despite his choice of footwear uh, moving forward in his career. Well said. And a fitting culmination to Nick Cage Month. And your final rating is? It can't be a totally. Because it's fun and it's a movie lover's movie and a Nick Cage lover's movie, but it's an all right movie. In general, and that's that's it's like crazy. I like honorary totally. watching this movie. Give this an honorary yeah. totally. Uh, so we'll do Peter Jackson, uh, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. We'll give let's give it a low totally, I guess, based more on the culmination. So basically, yeah, the, like you get the Oscar because all the other movies were really great. Right. As uh, Kelly Ray said, Nicolas Cage is a national treasure. And so I will give Nicolas Cage's body of work, that on which we focused anyway, a generally, a general totally. (laughs) Not not for all the other crap. I think it's fitting. And likewise, I'll give the unbearable weight of massive talent a good. So there you've got it. A low totally from Wes and a good from Iris for all of it. For the unbearable weight of massive talent is the culmination of not only Nicolas Cage month, but also Nicolas Cage's oeuvre. Please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. And please reach out to us because we love to hear from you. 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at or whatever movies and let us know what is your favorite Nicolas Cage movie. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, 
to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Pack podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid.